0: You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board
1: certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner and founder
0: of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for
1: treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely.
2: Hey, Teresa, how are you today?
1: I'm wonderful. How are you?
2: (laughs) I'm doing good. We're talking over each other. We're, We're excited to do this episode.
1: That's all right. All right. So. Yay. So I'm excited to do this episode. This is actually an episode that we were supposed to release for episode 200. It was sort of this idea of let's get some questions together and ask Teresa. And then it coincided that it was the going to be the 200th episode. We hit 3 million downloads and it's also the fourth year anniversary of Swallow Your Pride. So it was sort of like a big occasion. So that's where this idea came from. Yeah.
2: It's a very big occasion so have you ever been on anyone else's podcast before
1: yeah i've been on a a bunch of
2: where you were where you were the topic okay great
1: Yeah, i've been on a bunch of other ones yeah and it's interesting because it's i find myself always talking about different things when i go on other people's podcasts that i don't ever talk about on my own and it's not for right i don't know it's not for like not wanting to talk about it it's just an interesting I don't know. I just I I show up on this podcast in a certain way. And then when people ask me questions, I'm like, oh, okay, sure.
2: Oh, oh, this is my opportunity to play uh, Phil Donahue. So I'm excited. Good, 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 good.
1: Yeah. So we put a poll out on Instagram and we had some people submit some questions. So that's where these questions are going to come from. So Vince has a list of like 30 questions that he's going to pick a few from. And I'll give you my best answer. All right.
2: So we kind of organize these already in order of um, of what we felt would be most interesting or most important to the people listening. Um, So I'll just start at the beginning with number one. How do you stay motivated to keep advocating and attempting to improve our profession?
1: Um, For me, it's not a motivation thing. I don't have to find a motivation. It's You know, I I say this in a loving way, but having my son has given me an unfair advantage. And I say that because I don't get to escape my son. I don't get to escape his disabilities. So he has special needs. He was born with a chromosomal abnormality. He doesn't walk. He doesn't talk. Um, So our life revolves around therapy. Our life revolves around physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, feeding therapy, vision therapy. What else does he get? So basically, you know, I've always, you know, I've, I've I've always been interested in speech pathology. I've been, you know, I love what I do, but once I had him, it made me realize that there's so many more pieces to the therapy buy-in puzzle than just the latest and greatest research. And I don't ever want people to think that I'm discounting that because I'm not, I'm I, Love research. I, I love knowing what's the best and, you know, latest and greatest techniques, but there's so much to be learned from our clinical experience with different patients and then also what's important to the patient themselves and their perspective. So I will definitely die on the evidence based triad hill. So I, I,
0: <laughs>
1: that's non negotiable to me, but I think, yeah, I, I don't have to find motivation because it's just it's innate in me that we have to do better as a field. And there's no reason why we can't, you know, it's, it's I think we have wonderful people in this field that want to do wonderful things and they just want all the right pieces to do them. Um, So if, you know, part of my mission in life is just getting the research out there, getting people's different clinical experiences out there, shedding light on other patient populations, patient successes, then that's what just drives me to keep doing what I do.
2: And and you and I have had some pretty in-depth conversations about, both the positive and negatives that you've encountered with our profession um in the scenarios that you're talking about so i i totally get what you're saying it's a it's a unique perspective until someone has a family member or a friend or or somebody that they are invested in that that is also receiving you know you just you 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 just don't see the services the same. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that perspective from you. All right. On to number two. What do you think the future of medical SLP practice will look like and why?
1: Um, I think it's extremely bright. And, you know, I, I say that because I, full disclosure, I do have a new continuing education company coming out, just rolling out mostly be coming out next year. Really, we're we're at this, we're at this crossroads. We've been at this crossroads. You know, we have really smart people that work in this field that have, you know, some, some medical knowledge, have some medical knowledge, but don't have real in-depth foundational knowledge. And we also have people in this field who are hungry to get that knowledge. So, you know, at this point, you know, that's what I'm putting together is a bunch of different courses to roll out that. Yes, that knowledge and also just some case-based learning. But you know, I think it's very bright. I, I think we're we're learning where we can fit in, and I think we're making we're making headway in being part of these interdisciplinary teams and what our role is, and you know how we can support the physicians, how we can support nurses, how we can support other therapists. And I think if we just keep continuing doing what we're doing, advocating for what. We believe is right. I think we've made so much progress already, and of course, there's still a lot more to go. So, I'm I'm always a positive thinker, so I would think nothing less than it's going to be bright. So,
2: yeah. So uh, something exciting happened to you this year that I'm sure probably most anybody listening to this podcast is aware of. But um, you have had the experience of becoming an author. Um, I know it didn't happen overnight. You want to talk a little bit about? the process in your book and what you've learned from all of that.
1: Sure. The process was horrible. I'd say it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. you know, I, and I, and I wanted to write this because I wanted to write something for patients. I wanted there to be something accessible for patients out there. You know, of course, like I said, we have wonderful SLPs that do wonderful things, but there's only so much we can talk about in a, you know, half an hour, 40 minute, 50 minute, 60 minute session with patients. Um, so I wanted them to have something to really understand why we do what we do in, in dysphagia therapy and, you know, different assessments that are available, different treatment options that are available. So just uh, A lot of information that I wish I had had, you know, right after I had my son, I think, you know, learning about all his disabilities and all the problems he was going to face, I wish there was, you know, and and in some areas of of his disabilities, there were just books that I could pick up and read and learn more about. Um, But in other areas, there wasn't. So, that's what really where I wanted to fill this need with this book. So, the hardest part was staying very true to the research and making sure that it was completely accurate And talking about that in a very elementary conversational tone that the general public could understand. So the book deadline got pushed back so many times because there was this constant battle between an SLP editor versus a general public editor and how things should be explained in technological terms, but also to be understood by the general public. So people will ask me all the time, like, is this book for, well, I understand this. Yes, it was written for you. Um, and that was the toughest part about doing it, but it's done. It was grueling. And I think just grueling because there's so many people don't realize how many parts to a book there are, like you have to pick out the cover and you have to get it you know, published on different sites and you have to get it approved. And there's just so many different decisions that I'm not, I don't like to make those kind of decisions, but it's done. It's out there. I hope if you guys read it, if you enjoy it, pass it on to a patient, pass it on to a family member, pass it on to a colleague, leave a review if you liked it. Yeah. So thank you.
2: So I've certainly been able to see a lot of the the inner workings of how the collective is put together. Um, Working with the collective, like I've been able to do for, oh, it's hard to believe a year now you know people would not believe all of the the work and what goes on behind the scenes to keep the content fresh and evidence based and new stuff coming so with with all of that said where do you see the collective and in particular, swallow your pride going in the future, evolving, if you will? What's the next step?
1: Yeah, so I think, I I don't know that I see the collective evolving much more beyond what it is. I think what it is in and of itself is great. Um, And I also, I'm very cognizant of information overload. And, you know, I don't want that, you know, the whole point of the collective was to really introduce a whole bunch of different topics to people, give people knowledge in different areas that they otherwise wouldn't get. At a very you know economically priced option, also with providing support where people can just ask questions. So I don't know that that we're gonna change much as much as I just wanted to keep growing. I want to continue to add, you know, topics about you know different areas that that our field is is expanding into. Unfortunately, I know we're doing a lot more with. know pediatric oncology and a lot more in the burn unit and just different things that a lot of us had no experience with. So yeah, I've said it a few times. I don't know that I see it evolving into much more other than just continuing to expand on what our field is capable of. And you know, one thing that we keep doing is is we're constantly adding new contributors and we have to constantly keep adding new mentors to the groups to answer questions. And that's always an interesting part, you know, when when people on the team will say, you know, hey, Teresa, we don't have anybody to answer these types of questions. And it's so funny to think that maybe like two, three years ago, that wasn't an issue. Um, you know, so I, I will definitely promise that we will continue to stay, you know, relevant with the times we had, you know, COVID support calls. You know, we try to do whatever we need to for the members to keep them connected with with other people in the community. So...
2: So again, um, just to remind you and everybody listening that these questions were submitted by members or listeners also of Swallow Your Pride. So um, we've got some clinical questions that have, that are kind of popping up, sort of clinical. So just just to shift gears a little bit, as a CF, I'm having trouble finding a job in acute care, and I can't wait any longer to start a job. So how do I keep up on those skills?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, totally understand that. I think, you know, this is a, it's a multifaceted question, obviously not knowing this person's exact scenario, but um, if it is a possibility to move, I would consider that, you know, I know some people have families and things like that, that moving is not a consideration, but if you're young and you're able to, there's definitely, I see positions posted constantly. We have a job board within the collective where people post positions. So that being said, if it's not ideal for you to move, I don't think it's terrible to take a job in a similar setting. So I know acute care seems to always be the holy grail where everybody wants to get into. But if you can get into subacute or if you can get into skilled nursing, um, you'll still get exposure to you know medical knowledge and things like that. Um, will it be identical? No, but that's what you know continuing education and things is for. Um, that being said, I I am so passionate about making sure that people have proper supervision um, and proper mentorship. I know you know, a lot of people say they hate skilled nursing because they had no mentorship or no supervision, and that's just a terrible place and I would never work there. Um, so if you're a CF, as much as you're interviewing for a position, I also would interview your supervisor and see if it's a good match. Because if it's a mismatch, it's going to be a miserable time. You're not going to get all that it's meant to be out of it. And you're not going to be in a good position to then apply for that dream acute care job that you need. So, I really don't think the setting itself matters as much as much as the actual person doing your supervision and your mentorship, um, and just knowing that they they have a you know large, wide, vast skill based, knowledge based. They're accessible to you. They are able to help you. Then it's it. Right.
2: I think so. Okay. I mean. Uh it's absolutely the same stuff that I tell people, you know, and and sometimes it's things they don't want to hear. I mean, you have a lot more options if you're willing to go to other places. So that's great advice. Uh, What does the future of the profession look like? And how can we help make it better?
1: This is a good one. What does the future of the profession look like? You know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I think it's going to evolve into us being a much more well-respected profession amongst our peers. I think everybody jokes that we're always like that, you know, redheaded stepchild or we're like the forgotten therapy, but that isn't the case in a lot of settings. In a lot of settings, we are very well-respected by physicians and nurses and other therapies. I think one thing that I've learned is there are some incredibly brilliant people in this field. Um, And just because they don't have loud voices on social media does not discount them by any means. And I think that's, you know, going back to what keeps me motivated, I think doing the podcast really was so eye-opening with how many crazy, brilliant, smart people there are in this field that just have their nose down doing the work doing great work with their patients. And, and I just love getting to meet those types of people. Um, I think those are the people that, you know, learning to step out of their comfort zone, you know, whether it's teaching a CEU course or whether it is mentoring or supervising or, you know, chiming in on a Facebook group post or something, whatever it is, I, I'm, I'm loving seeing people that have that knowledge now willing to share it. Because I think that's where the field continues to go. And I think, we can make it better by continuing to share those those people and those thoughts with others by just continuing to share what we know, share our knowledge with others is how we're all just going to get better as a field.
2: OK, kind of shifting into one of my favorite topics, uh, is there a movement towards standardization and fees like in the MB, uh, like with the MBS IMP?
1: To my knowledge, there is um, beyond that for details. I do not have them nor would i be able to disclose that. I think there's
2: I think there's various people in various labs working on different things. Yep. Um, what that en- what that ends up looking like? Um, we'll know, we'll they'll probably figure out who outcompetes the other and right. who ends up with the best product. So yeah. All right. So got some more questions here for you. What is the greatest accomplishment of your life?
1: man. Greatest accomplishment of my life. Ah, you know, that's, that's tricky. Cause I, you know, I, I've got a few things and I, and I guess this is what keeps popping up to me. I think, I don't know that I would say having my son was an accomplishment, but obviously having him gave my life incredible purpose um, and direction. So having him was, I would say a turning point in my life. I would say that I'm extremely, I would say the Greatest moment after that was going through probably three years of IVF and then being able to have my daughter who is healthy and smarter than I could have ever imagined. And she's so helpful. She's only one. And she's she just has this innate ability to connect with him and to help him already. It's just crazy creepy. Um, so I think being able to overcome that, I think, you know, having a child with special needs and learning everything that I've learned about that and just taking that and using it for a greater good. You know, I, I very easily could go into a depression about, you know, what his life's going to be like the financial burden on our life, you know, the emotional burden that it, that it takes. Um, and And I see so many, you know, people at his school and so many other parents that are just, you know, crumbling and devastated by it. But I think, I would say my biggest accomplishment is being able to take that and spin it into something positive and productive, and really give his life purpose to help so many other people.
2: That's great. Yeah. Uh, on to a to a little bit lighter question. Thank you. Which app do you use the most on your phone?
1: Which app do I use most on my phone? I would say Voxer because it's just a it's a messaging like a messaging app um, to communicate with my team. So everybody that works behind the scenes of the collective, the podcast, everybody is on Boxer, and that's how we connect. So I like it because I can easily shut shut it off if I don't want to talk to any of you people for a little while, but I am in constant communication with pretty much everybody on the team all the time. So that's what I would say it is.
2: So outside of uh, work and your family, Uh, What hobbies do you have that you are interested in or interested in trying out?
1: Um, You know, that's a good one because I don't really have any. I don't, to be honest. I I mean, I take I do take time every day to work out. I think fitness is such a huge, important piece. It's it brings so much mental clarity to me. So if I, you know, people do it for for physical looks, vain looks, um, that's obviously a great yeah, it's a positive, but I need it for my mental sanity. So I do take time to work out every day. I do go for walks. Um, that's where I listen to a lot of podcasts or even if 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 anybody has set up a call with me um, and we don't do it on Zoom, I'll just walk and do the call just to get, get my body and my brain moving. So I would say that's that's pretty much it. I mean, working. Being with my kids or working out is pretty much what my day consists of. I do listen to tons of podcasts and, and books on Audible. I do those while I'm working out or while I'm walking. I guess one thing I, w- I want to get into is like boating, but I don't have time, nor do I really want to carve out the time. Like I would love to be like, oh, I'd love to be on a boat today, but yeah. That's, that's as far you as my, love to be on the I know, today. I know. But then I'm like, do I actually have the time? No, I I think I would I think it would drive me nuts, actually, to be out on the water, because I probably would think of a million things I'd need to be working on for work. And
2: Would you, so. you know you can get you can get portable Internet so you can work off. I the could, boat. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe
1: that's what I need to do. OK, maybe <laughs> that's that's my goal for 2022 to record a podcast on a boat.
2: So this is a this is a great question. Um, do you recall the moment? you laughed the hardest in your life
1: the moment i laughed the hardest
2: and was i there
1: and were you there um <laughs>
2: no i just i just added that part in uh the oh question, my gosh the, the question is do you recall the moment that you laughed the hardest in your life
1: i don't think i can i don't know what the that moment i laughed the hardest in my life i don't think so I do. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I remember I would say probably I still have a picture. I have a picture of it on my phone, which is why I still think it's so funny. But oh, my gosh, when was it? Maybe 10, 15 years ago. So my husband played. um, My husband played in the NFL. I don't know that I've talked about this before publicly, but I guess I am now. Um, My husband played for the Indianapolis Colts, and there was a party at one of I can't even think of the guy's name, but big, fancy, popular wide receiver's house. And he was from he was from New Orleans, I believe. And they drank moonshine there. And I remember somebody made me a drink and it was called wine shine. And it was wine and moonshine mixed together. And I had some wine shine. And then I remember trying to sit in this chair and I fell out of the chair and into the pool. And I just remember it was like the absolute funniest most horrifying thing ever because I was in front of all these fancy popular important people and I had a drink and fell out of a chair and fell into the pool and I think the chair fell on top of me and I was just yeah it was an absolute calamity but I do remember laughing for like days about that so that's pretty good yeah do you prefer staying
2: at home or do you prefer going out
1: I would say 90 percent of the time I love being at home I'm an introvert to the core, I think, which is, you know, people never believe that when I, cause I have the podcast and I have all these other things that I do, but I just love being by myself. I love being a homebody. That being said, I do love going out to eat. I'm definitely a foodie. I love good wine. So I definitely love to, I'd say, go out to eat a good, you know, few times a month at least.
2: Okay. Yeah. So was it easy for you to choose a career? How did you end up, I guess, in speech pathology to begin with?
1: Um, Yeah. So no, it was not easy for me to choose a career. I actually started out as a fashion design major. I was when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I wore a different outfit every day. And I lobbied, I lobbied to be best dressed for the yearbook committee and they didn't pick me and they made me class loudest. And I was really upset because I didn't think (laughs) I was class loudest at all. But I guess as my life has unfolded, I am pretty loud. So anyways, there was that, but I did go to, so I went to college for fashion design. I loved it. I did about, I did about a year in the program. And then at the time it was like right before the market crashed and yeah. I'm trying to th- no, it wasn't. It was way before that. Anyways, my dad had gotten laid off um and basically said to me, you know, you've got to pick a major that actually like you have some career stability in that you can you know, really help people. And I was so mad. I think I, I switched my major at that point to like jewelry design and asked if that was any better and that didn't work. And so I think I didn't really talk to my dad for a few months. I think I was pretty pissed about it, but I eventually switched to, I think psychology because I just needed to get going with coursework Um, Didn't know what I wanted to do. And then my mom had said something to me one day, like, what about speech pathology? And I was like, oh, I don't know. She's like, well, your brother uses an AAC device. You've always been interested in this stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe. So I ended up transferring schools, started studying speech pathology. I just assumed I would work with kids. I think everybody thinks that they do because I think nobody really understands, you know, medical speech pathology unless you're involved with it, you know. Um, So I did all the coursework for that. I wrote a thesis in child language I published research in child language. I participated in this child language research symposium as an undergrad. I got a Spark Award from ASHA. I did all that stuff and then realized I hated child language. So um, (laughs) in grad school, I got more involved with AAC. And I, I still even didn't love swallowing in grad school. Um, But I definitely knew that I wanted to work with more of the either like acutely ill or developmentally um, disabled population. I just knew that I wanted to not work with just typical kids. So, yeah, I did my CF in the schools, um, hated every minute of it. I started sort of moonlighting in a nursing home after school. My CF supervisor, who supervised me in school during the day, also worked, I think, three nights a week at a sniff. So I followed her there and I totally fell in love with it. And I just loved what she did. I loved the connection she had with the patients. I felt like it was actually very meaningful and you made an impact on people's quality of life. Um, so when I finished my CF, that skilled nursing facility offered me a job and I stayed there for quite some time. And I, I really loved my time there and I loved the sniff. And so that's sort of how my career career path unfolded. But no, I had no idea what I wanted to study before that.
2: Um, yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. I, when I started grad school, I knew I didn't want to work with kids. I mean, again, I, I preface that with saying that's not a school thing or a not liking kids thing. I like kids fine. I just, I couldn't see that. Yeah. I, that's not what I wanted yeah. them to do. So I, I totally, I totally, I totally get you there. Do you have a daily routine?
1: Um, yes and no. I, I do, that being said, I also have two children that sometimes don't allow me to have my daily routine. So, um, the first thing I do when I wake up is I always either work out or go for a walk, depending on the sun. When the when the during the summer, it was bright out at like six fifteen, so I would just go walk right away. But um, now, sometimes I just work out in my garage. Um, So I do that first thing in the morning and then take a shower, get myself ready. I get up my daughter, I get up my son, I get them ready, feed them breakfast. We get them off to school. And then I usually come into the office. I do have an office now for the collective and the podcast because I needed to needed a space for all the equipment and to get on my house, really. So um, I usually come in here at least, I would say, I'd say three days a week. I'm here all day, but pretty much I'm here every day. But yeah, I usually take calls in the morning, sometimes do interviews for the podcast. And then in the afternoon, I usually try to give myself time to get stuff done. Um, then usually later afternoon, I go for another walk if I didn't get another walk during calls during the day, just because I like to get out again. And then it's usually time to go pick up my kids from school, go home, make them dinner, get them in bed. And then usually by then it's like 7, 7.30 and I'm totally useless sitting on the couch. So um, people ask me if I can like take calls late at night. And the answer is no, because I get up and get going super early. So
2: having been around you for this past year and, you know, getting Voxers at six o'clock in the morning and all that good stuff. Um, <laughs> you, you really don't like routine though, do you? I mean, No, I'm trying to phrase that. I'm trying to put that out there the right way. Routine is something you developed because you had to, to get stuff done. Correct. Yeah. You and and I are a lot alike in that. And um, I have to force myself to do um, those things as well. And I think that probably would surprise a lot of people Yeah. Um, because you're not really, I mean, I don't know how to put this. You're a very motivated person, but I don't see you as a type A.
1: No, no, I'm not a type A person. You know, know. I
2: think I think that would shock um, people as well. I think. I think they would assume that someone that has built something like you've built would be very regimented and very, but, but you're not, I mean, it, it, you are, but you're not, I don't know how to describe it. No, I think that's,
1: I think that's the perfect way. I think I've sort of found the ideal balance for me. I think being too routine and too regimented really messed with me mentally because if something got thrown off, then I would feel like the whole day was gone which I'm not that type of person, but then on the other hand, you do need structure. You know, when you have, when you have kids, you have to balance things when you have to take as many calls or meetings as I do, then, you know, I have to have structure there, but I, have really sort of, I've leaned into, I'd say in the past year, a lot into, into really leaning into those creative times and if there's some days that I'm in a creative, you know, brain dump and I just have so many ideas or just writing comes to me like things for the book or for social media or podcast ideas. I mean, sometimes I will just cancel meetings or I will cancel other things because it's sprung upon me and I and I want to get it out. And it, and it's I, I don't know, it's something that I've really leaned into is just my intuition and knowing when to honor those things. And sometimes, you know, people try to force themselves to do work at a specific time. And if it's not coming to me, I don't force it. That's a hard pill for some people to swallow. Like they want to, you know, sit down and write from seven to eight every morning. And if it's not coming to you, it's, it's, you can't force it. Cause it's not going to be a good product. So um, I've really sort of just, um, I, I've really sort of learned to, to honor that. So I, um...
2: You know, as we're sitting here, as we're sitting here talking, I'm sure. You know, this reminds me a lot of the of the leadership panel talk that that we did for the live a couple of weeks ago. So, so since I've got you here and I'm able to ask you questions about this stuff, did you kind of did when you were growing up? I mean, did you end up being the person in charge of stuff then, or is this a skill that you just developed over time, or a little bit of both?
1: I would say both, and I don't, and I don't know where it came from to be honest. I I just remember I sort of always had a. I would say the term multi passionate has always been me. You know, people are like, I feel like I have a lot of interest, and that's totally fine. I mean, I do too. Um, But you know, I've always was involved in different clubs, and I just was always trying to bring people together. I was just always sort of this people collector, people builder, and yeah, I'm trying. Like in high school, I was a cheerleader. I was captain of the cheerleading squad. I played softball. I was captain of the softball team. Like I, I guess I've always sort of evolved into these leadership positions and I don't really know how it happened. Um, I think a lot of times I volunteered for stuff too. I, um, I ran our, our grad school organization was what is Gasha? Is that, is that what everybody's grad? No. What is it? Nishla? I'm trying to think what everybody's yeah the student That's association the, so i yeah. i volunteered to be the president for that when i was when i was in grad school i also became our state association when president when i was in nevada <laughs> i actually was having this conversation last night i've i am now on our hoa board um and i think i think the reason that i get involved in all of this stuff is because you just never really you, you can get angry at things but you just never really know other people's opinions or other people's sides And especially, you know, now this day and age, people can just go on Facebook or go on social media and just vent about things and not really understand why, you know, and I don't want to be that type of person. I want to not just vent about things. I want to go figure out, you know, okay, why do people have these perspectives, but what can we do to change them and how can we all come together and make things better? So I guess I've sort of always had that attitude, which has lended it to getting involved with with being you know in leadership position so it wasn't that I always wanted to be a leader as much as I just have these feelings and these intuitions and these drives that I want to change things and I know the only way to do them is appropriately and by by being part of the cause So for people that
2: are interested in doing other things in their career whatever those other things might be um, if they If they want to start their own business, if they want to start their own private practice, if they want to be a mobile fees provider or whatever it is they may be in the future, what do you feel like is the most important step for someone to take that bridges the gap from I'm just a clinical person that shows up for work every day to I'm someone that's on the because we all know, I mean, I hope everybody realizes that you just don't wake up one day and you own a business. Um, I think a lot of people think it works that way, but, you know, overnight success is typically, takes about 10 years. Um, 10 years, you know. yep, yep. <laughs> so, yep. So what do you think the first step for people that want to do the things that you've done, that want to expand beyond um, our what we perceive as our roles as SLPS.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's it's doing it. To be honest, I, there's so many people, and, and this isn't. A, I don't mean to for this to sound negative, but there's so many people that contact me that reach out to me that say I've been thinking about doing this, but at what point do you just do the thing? And there's, you know, I don't know what it is with SLPs. And it's a horrible generalization. Don't be mad at me. But they all, they want to have like their their ducks in a row. I think my my dear friend, Jenna, says that all the time. SLPs want to have their ducks in a row. That's fine to get your ducks in a row. But at some point, you just have to get into action. And, and I don't know that I can give you an answer as to when that right time is because for some people there isn't a right time i know for me i just recently finally decided i wanted to you know i'm doing this the 75 hard program i wanted to just i was sick of, I, I just said i was like sick of my stuff i was just sick of myself i wanted to get this baby weight off i wanted to have a more stricter you know fitness and nutrition regimen and i just had it one day and i woke up and said i'm going to do it today and i think that's how i do a lot of business stuff too is i just get fed up with what's out there i i I know that I have a solution to fixing a problem and I just do it. And I might not have all the answers. And and that's one of my biggest sayings. I say it all the time to a lot of different people that I'm involved in with coaching is action breeds clarity. And you might not get the answer of how you should do something until you start doing it. Um, And I know for some people that can be scary, but um, once you sort of get used to putting yourself out there and you get used to things being scary, they get less scary so I, you know, I don't there's really no secret recipe. There's putting yourself out there and, and letting it evolve. And I think the other thing too is just consistency. I think some people think they're gonna build this beautiful brand, this big, huge business, this wildly successful company, you know, in, in a few weeks. And it just doesn't happen that way. Um, I mean, you have to consistently put the work in. I mean, can you have a good successful business in just a few months? You can, but you have to keep it going, you have to keep it sustainable, you have to keep showing up. Um, consistency is just such a huge thing. Um, there's some days I don't want to do things. There's some days I don't want to show up and do things. There's some days I want to burn this podcast to the ground, but I just keep doing it. And the compound compound effort and the compound rewards are beyond something that I could have ever imagined. So um, for people that want to give up, that they want to quit too soon, I would just encourage you to just keep going. A lot of this stuff isn't glamorous. Um, running a successful business is boring sometimes, and boring is good. Um, but you just have to keep showing up, and you just have to keep doing it.
2: And so, and that kind of brings me to another question. I think that that people will find interesting. Talk about some of the ways that you, uh, if you see if you can pick up on where I'm going with this, pick up on some of the ways that you keep yourself supported and fresh, and people that you, in turn, talk to and bounce ideas off of.
1: So, like different coaches that I use and yeah. things.
2: Yeah, I think I think people would I think people would find it interesting to know that you know that you in turn have people that are your Teresa.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I have a business coach that I work very closely with. I also have a business partner for one of my businesses that you know he just helps me with a lot of the sales and marketing stuff because I am the SLP. Um, I do have a therapist that I talk to weekly also. She's sort of in the business field too. so she helps with business stuff but just obviously very much life therapy stuff. I'm also involved in a you know high level group coaching program for other community business owners like this. Um, So that helps to give me ideas of, you know, how we keep things exciting within the collective, how we keep people, you know, engaged, how we keep the content good and fresh and, you know, how we keep it easily digestible for everybody. Cause if they're not using it, then it's a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think who else I, I rely on so many people to be honest. I think people ask, people ask me all the time, like, how do you do all this? And I don't do it all by myself. I mean, the, the, the team is huge. I mean, there's probably... I'd say between all the tech support, different people involved, there's probably 80 different people involved behind the scenes in the collective. I mean, there's six of you guys that work, you know, pretty much around the clock within the collective behind the scenes, but yeah. And, and I, you know, I have help with my kids too. You know, I have my parents, I have my in-laws, I have a nanny that helps with pick up and drop off sometimes. Um, So I rely on so much help and I think people need to be, give themselves some grace and and get themselves some assistance if they need it. I, I think too many people think it's a, a bad thing to ask for help and it's not at all. It's, it allows me to show up for my kids. It allows me to show up for work. And if it means somebody else, you know, picks out my groceries and delivers them to my front step, then that's how it is some days. So.
2: Yeah. And, and again, kind of going back to something I've said before, it seems to me that you have had to learn how to give up wanting to control a lot of things. So you just have to completely pick the right people and trust it'll get done.
1: Completely. I, I mean, and yeah, I would say probably it, that's definitely a skill to be learned. I would say making your first hire is 100% the hardest. Um, and I'm super grateful that Joy, who was my first hire, is now the entire business manager behind the collective. So she's obviously wonderfully loyal and I love her for it but yeah, it's, it can be totally scary. I mean, especially when you're dealing with your kids and stuff, but I also try to see the good in everybody. And I, you know, I do my due diligence with people and I see how they treat other people. I very much scout out their social media profiles and see how they talk to other people behind the keyboard. You know, I think character is a big thing to me and those are the people that I bring in to both the business behind the scenes within the collective and also, you know, within my family and my home life too.
2: This is a question, again, that we asked that I asked during the leadership presentation panel uh, with the live event that I found extremely interesting and telling about the people on the panel. And that was not what's your greatest success been in life. That's easy to talk about. But what do you feel like has been your biggest failure?
1: My biggest failure. I don't like that word. And I say that. I say that because I don't feel like things are failures. I feel like things are lessons, it's very much how I view everything. And it's, I think why I've gotten to where I am in business. I mean, we've tried things within the collective. I've tried things with the podcast. I've tried things with other businesses that I've started that I wouldn't say are failures. I would say that just didn't work out the way I expected or they took a different turn and I either embraced it or let it go. Um, I, I really truly don't like the word failure because I—it's all in how you how you look at it and how you perceive it, and it's something that it either worked or it didn't, and you can perceive it as a positive and and just pivot appropriately. You
2: no, know, I think that's I think that's a I think it's a great response, and I think I think in that response is probably what separates people that are successful in in business and life in general and those that aren't because. You're absolutely right. I mean, um, I kind of think the same way myself. The yeah, other stuff that I've tried that I've bombed at, but that doesn't mean I didn't learn something from mm-hmm. bombing at it. So that is that is a that is a great um, answer. Do you I know we talked about kind of the team, the people that you have that you rely on in many different ways. Do you have a singular mentor or someone that's been very inspiring for you in your life?
1: No, I wouldn't say singular at all. Okay. I can think of probably 10 people that had a huge impact on my career so far. Um, and, and I think I think that's really important to lean into also is that you've got to find people that are sort of willing to meet you where you are but have also walked a path that you want to walk. So, you know, as I reach new you know heights in the business or as I create new businesses, I've got to find different people in those areas that can help me pivot, but can also take me from where I am and get them to where they are. Um, So I think you know just relying on one mentor is is not a bad thing., um, but I think having multiple perspectives is is great too. I sort of at any one time, I have anywhere from, it's say, two to three different coaches. And they all just have different perspectives that all, you know, I might take something from someone and something from someone else. And yeah, I just, I, I love to hear people's different perspectives on things.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. I, um, You know, personally, not, not that it was, you know, I've had a lot of different mentors myself. I, I did have one person back in high school that was, hey, you know. The world is bigger than Wheeler County, Georgia. You can get out of here, you know, go do different things, try different things. So so kind of getting back into some some other clinical questions. uh, Here's a good one. What kind of student were you in grad school?
1: In grad school? hmm, (laughs) I would say before grad school, I was a really good student. Grad school, I think everybody's just in survival mode. I mean, I hate to say it. It's just it's so much to learn. Yeah, I I think I definitely still tried my hardest in grad school. Um, My now husband, I was dating at the time we had apartments across the street from each other. I mean, we were both very focused on, he was focused on his career. I was focused on mine. I had my internships or my externships at the time too. So I definitely studied, I, I studied really hard in high school and in regular college. And I don't want to say that I my foot off the brake in grad school. I just remember it being way more of a survival mode than actually, you know, wanting to just get straight A's. But yeah, I had my foot off the brake
2: all the way until grad
1: school. Good job, Vince. Yeah,
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you have any particular quotes or sayings or anything that anything you little I know you and I often trade? inspirational quotes, leadership quotes, things like that. Anyone in particular that really stands out that you um, that you think about every day? Yeah, any- no, that's
1: good. I think it's a what is it, an acronym? But basically it's like A B C D E F is these are the letters that I think of. And this I'm pretty sure this was in a book by Jocko Willink. He was a former Navy SEAL. I think the book was The Dichotomy of Leadership, which was a fantastic book. And anyways, ABC stands for action breeds clarity, which anybody that works with me, I say that all the time. And then the DEF stands for discipline equals freedom. So the action breeds clarity, I think is something that so many SLPs need to embrace so much more. Um, Cause I talk about that with, you know, starting your own business or, you know, starting your own private practice or wanting to create materials, wanting to create a course. You may not have all those ducks in a row. Like I've said, you just might have to get to work and, 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 Action breathe clarity. I'll say that over and over and over again. Um, Sometimes just diving in and having conversations with people, um, people that you trust, people that you lean on, mentors about things will give you the clarity that you need. So that's ABC. And then DEF is discipline equals freedom. Um, And I think, you know, this is little things, to be honest. I mean, they say that, you know, the little things add up to the big things, but. You know, if I don't get a workout in first thing in the morning, I I have to do that, whether sometimes it's just, you know, just a walk. But if it's if it has to be something, I can't just get up and start my day because it's not pretty. Um, So there's that. I mean, there's I do not take work calls in the evening unless we absolutely have to. Um, Like that is my sacred family time. It's just also my sacred me time. Um, there's just other things that I have built in throughout my day that are pretty non-negotiable. Like I usually have a hard stop with work stuff at around five to go home and, you know, be with my kids and get them put in bed. You know, there are, there are exceptions to the rule, obviously when I travel and things like that. But, um, for the most part, I have these things built into my day that feel like they give me the freedom that I want as far as mental clarity, having, you know, family life, and then also having time to get the work done that I want to get done.
2: Very good. Yeah. What do you do? We kind of talked about this. What do you do to relax? What do I do
1: to relax? Um, I'm terrible at relaxing, to be honest. Um, I'm absolutely terrible at it, but I do. I, I mean, it's really just it's workouts. It's fitness stuff. Just going for a long walk sometimes is really relaxing. I don't like to say that I do absolutely nothing some days because I don't, I don't know. I can't just shut off my brain to do absolutely nothing. Um, I mean, I do just like to hang out with, with friends. I like to go out to eat. I like to drink wine. I mean, I do go for massages, but that's more of like a taking care of my body more than relaxing parks. I don't think it feels good. Okay. And I, and I do, and I do like, to, I do like to just turn off my work apps on my phone. I don't have, I would say I don't have email on my phone. So there are certain work boundaries that I have so that I'm not bothered at home.
2: And I think, I actually think that is, um, a, a very good tip that a lot of people probably don't realize and, and something that you've actually made me think of, because I'm really bad about just kind of spreading day and doing it whenever willy nilly, instead of, uh, um, having particular times, but you really do that regimen part of your life. You're, you are very strict about not doing emails, not doing to keep yourself sane. So I think I think that's, I think that's I think that's great. So one final question, and we will wrap this up. Okay, You've talked about in the past, uh, you were looking at starting a wine company. Where are you at with your wine company now, and when can we expect our first bottle of Chateau de Teresa?
1: I know I am at a total standstill right now because of the uh, climate going on in, I can't think of how to put it. I'm at a total standstill right now. Everything was all created, designed, ready to go. And the distributors at the ports are at a standstill with supplies. So I don't know when this episode's going to be released, but if people know what's going on in the world, we've got cargo ships that are just floating out in the ocean and haven't been able to be brought in, um, Yeah. So without getting into too much of the nitty gritty, it is at a total standstill. And I wish I had a date for when everything could roll out because I would love to roll that out more than anything in the world, but um, I've got to have some patience and some faith that it's meant to be when it's meant to be. So that's where we're at.
2: Fair enough. I think, uh, I think all of us are waiting on something right now um, in COVID-19 land. So
1: yes, it has
2: been a pleasure getting to ask you questions and to, interview you and to pick your brain a little bit i hope that uh people listening to this podcast take a nugget away and apply it to their own lives uh and and are and and use some of the things that you've learned to help themselves be successful
1: yes all right thank you my friend
2: you're very welcome thank you
1: download the show notes from this episode please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com there you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode if you like what you hear then please subscribe leave a review on itunes and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming if you'd like to be a guest share feedback or request a topic to be discussed on the show please email podcast at teresarichard.com Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.